have ever went on a guided tour, a guided tour. Perhaps it was like a, uh, a guided fishing experience. Maybe it was a guided hunting experience. Maybe you went to a museum or a monument where a, a, a tour guide guided you through what you were looking at. Um, maybe you went on a rafting trip and you had a guide who guided you on that first rafting trip. I, when I was a um, college student, uh, I went rafting at the Deschutes River. Anybody ever rafted the Deschutes River? If you have not yet and you're an Oregonian, you, you got to try it if your heart can handle it. Uh, but Because there's some pretty extreme uh, rapids on the Deschutes River. And um, we'd drop in at Maupin like everybody else would and, and have a great time rafting. Well, the first time I went, it was a guided rafting tour. And so we had a guy in the boat. And it was a very firm boat, had good support. I mean, it was a raft, but it felt like a ship. Uh, it was just very sturdy. And he knew what he was doing, and he gave us all jobs. And as we approached certain rapids, he would guide us with how we have to approach it, who on what side of the boat needs to make sure they're digging in. And, and we had a great time. Nobody died. We all stayed in the boat. Uh, it was a great time going through the rapids. And, and uh, it was very thrilling and quite enjoyable because we had an expert who had been there before somebody who was knowledgeable. Well, about a year or so later, I went with some college friends to go rafting. Um, and let's just say we didn't have a guide. Uh, we didn't have a really great raft either. It was just your standard raft. It didn't have the frame and support inside of it. It was just a raft. And uh, <laughs> we all had oars. And we were trying, I mean, a couple of us had gone on guided tours. We were, we were kind of trying to remember how we needed to approach certain rapids and trying to make sure we were doing it right. And we were doing, we were approaching one of the biggest rapids at, at the Deschutes River. Uh, and this is the box car for those who have been there before. And uh, we, we did not approach it correctly at all. Uh, we were at that point given to the whim of the Deschutes River. And in the process of trying to survive, I'm digging in trying to get the boat turned in a better position, and I get pulled into the river. Uh, and I am, I am in the water now, underneath the current of the river. I mean, that, my life vest is like a puny little whatever trying to save me because I was sucked down to the current of this river and spit up several feet down the rapids, luckily alive, with sunflower seeds all around me because I had a sunflower seed bag in my, tucked in my vest. Thankfully, I survived. I lost my hat that I was wearing, and I still don't know where it's at. Probably stuck somewhere down with the rest of everybody's belongings in the bottom of the river at the Deschutes. Let's just say it wasn't a very great experience without the guide. Um, some of you know what that feels like, to, to go through an experience without a guide, and oftentimes learning things the hard way, or maybe never really actually learning things and continuing to do the wrong thing. Uh, more recently, uh, I had gone to tour one of our lighthouses. I was on like a personal kind of sabbatical um, over at the coast. I know it's a tough place to, you know, seek God, but I was at the coast, and, and, and I went to the, the lighthouse that's just right there on the south end of Newport as you go across the big bridge. Beautiful lighthouse with an actual residence. Many of you probably have gone through there. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't do the tour. I just wanted to see it. Um, you know, they have guided tours, which sound pretty cool. Uh, in the midst of looking through the house and looking at all the neat things, I was overhearing the guide talking about everything. And they were like sharing stories and, and talking about stuff. And it was like, I want that. You know, but I didn't sign up. You know, I didn't get there in time to go through the tour. And so I missed that. And I missed a lot of information about that lighthouse because I didn't go through the tour. So what's my point? My point is, when we're going through important things like that, neat things, it's great to have a guide. As we're going through our spiritual journey, friends, we need a guide. A guide who has been there, who is knowledgeable in how we should go and the way we should go, a guide who knows what's out in front of us. And we have that guide. As followers of Jesus, we have a guide within us called the Holy Spirit. I want to talk today about how the Holy Spirit, as it comes to our life in the Spirit, is our guide, is our guide. In fact, this is the one point I'm going to make several times today in the message, and here it is. The Holy Spirit is our guide who will lead us into God's will and purposes for us. Now, I don't know how many times I've talked to followers of Jesus who were wrestling with wanting to know God's will. 
there was a situation in front of them. They weren't really sure what to do with it. They're like, I don't know. How do I know this is God's will, right? Well, here's the good news. We have a guide who will help us to know God's will and what his purposes are for us, and he lives right within us, the Holy Spirit. As followers of Christ, we have that assurance of the Holy Spirit within us. In fact, I want us just to take a moment to look at our at our perfect example, when we began this series on the Holy Spirit, we talked about our example, and our example is Jesus. He's our perfect example for what it looks like to live a life in the Spirit. And I want you to remember that when Jesus came, he really emptied himself, the Bible says. He set aside his divine rights as God the Son, and he entered humanity fully human, yet also fully God, but dependent upon the Holy Spirit for his ministry and work while he was here. In Matthew chapter 4, this is, this is following the baptism of Jesus. So he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and stays on him in the form of a dove. The Father speaks a validation over his son. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And then I want you to notice what happens. After he leaves the Jordan River, and it's probably almost immediately upon his baptism, in Matthew 4.1 it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why would Matthew, who, who, by the way, was one of Jesus' followers, why would he put it that way? Why would he just say, then Jesus knew what to do next? He decided he needed to go to wilderness. I mean, why wouldn't he just say that? Because Jesus was led by the Spirit in his ministry. In part of the emptying of himself, he placed himself in dependence to the work of God the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And that's how we minister. That's how we did. In fact, the gospel is full of sufficient evidence that when Jesus ministered, when he was at work, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit being led by the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that same Holy Spirit is with us today. In fact, it was that assurance that he could live a life that was God-honoring by the power of the Holy Spirit and know what to do, that he assured his disciples of these words in John 16. We've heard this before, but I'll read it again. John 16, 13. This is Jesus' words to his disciples, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me, and he will make it known to you. So here's a really big point Jesus is making. Jesus had been with them as a guide with his disciples. They followed him wherever he went. They lived with him for three and a half years. He taught them. He showed them things. He did wonders and signs that they saw. Okay? But now what he's basically saying is, I'm going away, but a guide is coming, another helper just like me, but this helper will be in you, And just like I taught you and just like I led you because of the Holy Spirit, now that Holy Spirit is going to lead and guide you. And that's wonderful news, but a lot of times we might leave this going, but how? I mean, how does that that happen? Well, we're going to get there, all right? But the point Jesus is making is this. Jesus doesn't promise that the Holy Spirit will control us. He says he will guide us. Now, why is that important? I, to be honest, I wish at times the Holy Spirit would control me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, because sometimes it's like I would have avoided a lot of problems in life if the Holy Spirit had controlled me. As though when I got saved, it was like the remote control left my hands and went to the Holy Spirit's hands. And so everything I did, thought, said, it was all Holy Spirit, right? There are times I wish we could live that way. You know, but the problem is we have this thing called a free will. It's not really a problem. It can be. And the Holy Spirit is not a controller. The Holy Spirit is a guide. What does that mean? That means I still have the choice to listen for the leading of the Holy Spirit or totally ignore it. 
He's not going to take me over. You know, I've heard people say, but the Holy Spirit just took me and made me. And I'm going, nobody makes you. You might feel very impressed and very compelled, but nobody's going to make you because you're still a willing vessel to the work that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in and through your life. Let me give you another example. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit, but in a way that maybe sounds kind of confusing. So I just want to take a moment here. Ephesians 5.18, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is a lack of control. Okay? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, that just sounds kind of, just at, at looking at that verse alone, that just sounds like, what is going on here? Is he talking about alcohol or is he talking about the Holy Spirit? What, what is going on? So there are times when we look at verses in Scripture and at face value, we're not really seeing the depth of what is being said. That's why it's important to go to the context. But before we do that, I do want to say that drunkenness is a real problem. Okay? It was a real problem in the day and age in which Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Drunkenness was a big issue in Ephesus, as it is today. And I think that we can see here that we have an apostolic command that drunkenness is not a good idea. Uh, and I think we should all take that, understand a loss of control like that really is not a smart idea. To give ourselves over to the influence of a substance is always a bad idea because we tend to lose control in the process. But here's my point. Paul is not building a case against drunkenness alone. Yeah, he uses an illustration, but in the context, he's not talking about the way the church is using alcohol. So let's go back to the context now. Remember, we see verses, but we want to make sure we put it back in its context. So yes, drunkenness is bad, but let's look at what Paul is really trying to say, okay? It's not about necessarily a prohibition, It is about something bigger. Let's look at it. So verse 15 of Ephesians 5, we're just going to kind of back up a little bit and look at what he's saying and where this verse falls. So in the leading verses, he says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now we're setting up for the verse. So to put it in context, he's saying, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Then he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what we see contextually here is Paul is saying, don't be foolish. We want be people who know what God's will is, but how are we going to know God's will? by being filled with the Holy Spirit, not by being drunk. So let me help make this make sense for us, okay? Um, Because there is now a cultural context we have to put around this to have it make sense to us, okay? So in Ephesus, where many of these Christians came out of their religious background, in the Greek religion in which they uh, participated in, in Ephesus primarily, to the goddess Dionysus, who was uh, a goddess of indulgence, Okay, The way they would worship their God in their Greek temple is they would get into an ecstatic frenzy by, by music, by dancing, and specifically by intoxication. So part of their worship was getting drunk. And then they would do all kinds of things that were not okay. Uh, they would just indulge the flesh entirely. There was, there was sexuality. There was orgies. There was dancing. There was music. And the reason they believed this was important is in their thinking about the way their religion worked is once they got into this kind of ecstatic frenzy, this sense of ecstasy, that what happened is they could then hear from the gods because they were kind of removed from this flesh and in this state of ecstasy. Now, I've actually heard people say who have been high on a substance, let's say marijuana, they were kind of high, they were like, man, I totally heard the Lord say something to me. And I was like, no, you didn't. You heard Mary Jane talk to you. That was not the Lord, all right? But that's what they believed, is they they would get intoxicated. They would indulge all these, and in the process, they would become open to what the gods were saying. Okay, that was really happening in Ephesus. 
So Paul says, let's not be foolish. Let's know what God's will is. But how do we know what God's will is? Not through drunkenness, not through indulging the flesh. We know what God's will is, not from some kind of ecstasy, but by being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't need to do these things to know God's will. The Spirit of God dwells within you. And if you are filled with the Spirit of God, which we are upon our salvation, then we will know God's will because the Helper will guide us who lives within us. So how do we understand God's will? That's what Paul says. The Holy Spirit will help us to know what God's will is. So to give some clarity to that today, in today's culture, we would use the... I guess the initials DUI. Most of you know what that is, hopefully not personally, um, but DUI is driving under what? The influence, and usually there's another I of intoxicants, right? So DUIs, we're pretty familiar with it, but interesting words that we chose to use in, in, the, in the statute around it, influence, driving under the influence. Now, the reason is because when you take a substance like that or a narcotic into your body, it is an influencer. Now, how many know that you don't make the best decisions when you're influenced by narcotics or alcohol? You don't. Generally, you don't go, man, that was the best decision I ever made when I was drunk like an idiot. I made the best life decision ever. Uh, not generally. But you're under the influence of that, which really becomes a lack of control and confusion and loss of control, right? Um, but under the influence, interesting to think about that because what Paul really is addressing here is you're going to be influenced by something. The influence is either going to be the culture in which you live and the craziness that comes with that culture, or the influence is going to be your own compulsions, what your flesh is saying to do, or you'll be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Now, influence comes from the words that basically mean to flow in. Influence, to flow in. And so we have the Holy Spirit at work within us. And if we live under his influence, then he will guide us and direct us in the ways that we should go. Paul speaks about that a little bit further in Romans 8. Very quickly, I'll give it to you. Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. We see some interesting choice of words from Paul. He says, we have mindsets and our hearts are governed by, or our minds are governed by. So in other words, we have either the flesh telling us what to do, there's a governing there, our mind is set there, or we can actually have our mind set and be governed by the Holy Spirit, right? You're always under the influence of something. My thing who I want to challenge us with is to take a time out and say, who's most influencing me? As a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit should be my primary influence, not culture, not what the flesh tells me, not my own impulses, my own desires, but the Spirit of God. He goes on in verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. So once you become a follower of Jesus, your government is not the flesh, realm is a term used for a space to which a rule is reached, right? So a realm is a kingdom reach. And so you're not in the realm or under the influence of flesh. Instead, he says, uh, you are in the realm of the spirit. So as a government here, while we live on earth, we are governed by a different authority, and that is the spirit. We're in that spirit's government, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. So, and we believe that he does. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. A little bit further in Romans 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the spirit of God, and that's what he says, are children of God. Those who are led are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so he's not a controller, okay? But rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. How many of you parents and grandparents want your kids, your grandkids, to know right from wrong, right? How many of you want them to know your will and then to do it? Most all of us, I would hope, 
And so we want to see that happen. So what do we do? We become for our kids and grandkids a guide, an example. We have to use instruction and correction to help them to know how to follow our will, how to become responsible adults. And we hope that we employ that well by our example and then by correction and by instruction. Jesus was our example. He showed us how to live a spirit-filled life. Now the Holy Spirit lives within us to teach us. Jesus said he will guide you into all truth. He'll instruct you. How many have ever felt the correction of the Holy Spirit within you? I know I have. I've sensed that sting, that conviction of the Spirit within me. When I was leading into an area that was wrong or did something wrong, I have felt that. And so we need that because we are children of God. Here's the thing I want you to know. As followers of Jesus, we're not just given a mandate to follow some list of rules. We are given a relationship in which the Father wants us to know him. He just says, I'll take what's mine and make it known to you. So he wants us to know him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. We're in a relationship, and because of that, the Holy Spirit is our guide who will lead us then into God's will and will help us to know his purposes for us. And it's a prevalent theme that we see, the guiding of the Holy Spirit, throughout the entire book of Acts. You know, the Gospels come in in the first part of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have this book of Acts. And what we see in the book of Acts is the fulfillment of what Jesus promised, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so in the close of all the Gospels, you'll see Jesus talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then in the book of Acts... We see that event happen. In Acts 2, specifically, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. It's a very dramatic work of the Spirit. There's revival among the people that are gathered. The church begins to grow immediately with this explosive growth. So now you have these disciples, and Jesus told them when he left, look, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, and I'm going to be with you always. So imagine now Peter, James, John, all the disciples, all of a sudden you have 3,000 people who just got saved added to your church, and you're like, how in the world do we do this now? I mean, Jesus, can you come back? Because it would be really good to have you here, right? They didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have the book of Acts when they were living out the book of Acts, all right? They had nothing. They had the Old Testament scrolls but they had the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, it'll be me guiding you by the Holy Spirit. So what did that look like? Well, we have examples in the book of Acts, all right? In Acts chapter 5, we see how the Holy Spirit gives Peter insight that Ananias and Sapphira lied to God about an offering they had pledged to give. I don't have time to break down all these stories, but in Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit speaks something to Peter, and he has insight to know that these people are lying. What did that look like? What did that sound like? What Was there like a billboard that kind of lit up? Was there something in the clouds that spelled it out? He's a liar. I mean, what did it look like? How did he know? Okay, and then further on in Acts chapter 6, There were Jewish men who confronted Stephen, who was a follower of Jesus, not one of the disciples, but a follower of Jesus. They confronted Stephen because he was doing these great wonders and signs, and he was teaching about Jesus, and they confronted him because of what he was doing. And it says, in the close of that verse, it says, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. Well, how did Stephen get this wisdom from the Spirit? How did he know what to say when it was time to say it? Well, Jesus told them before he had died, way back in the Gospels, hey, when people arrest you and when they confront you, don't worry about what to say. Because at that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. So here we have Stephen speaking with wisdom that wasn't his, well beyond his years, and he speaks with persuasion and wisdom that they can't even defend themselves against. How did that happen? Was there a script he was handed? Was he all of a sudden given a Bible to read from? I mean, how did he all of a sudden have this wisdom? Let's move on. In Acts chapter 8, Luke records that the Spirit told Philip that he should go and run by this stranger in a chariot. 
Now imagine for a moment the Lord tells you to run alongside this car going down Gary Street, and so you're hoofing it along and tell him to roll the window down, and you start talking to him. Wouldn't you think that would just be a little bit weird? But Philip felt a prompting in his heart by the Holy Spirit to go to this certain chariot where this certain man was. Well, what did that feel like? I mean, what did that look like for him? How did he know that he was to do that? Was there a voice from heaven? Was it a big echoey voice? I mean, how did he know that he was following God's will? And could it be the same thing that I feel at times when I sense the Holy Spirit within me say, go talk to that person? And how many times have I been willing to do that? Step outside of myself. Step into some pretty unknown territory. But here's what I know. The same Holy Spirit that's prompting me to go is probably working on that person's heart to hear. But do I trust him? What does that look like? Let's go on from there. Acts chapter 10. The Spirit tells Peter not to be afraid when Roman soldiers were coming to have him join them back to their boss, Cornelius, who was a Gentile believer, but he wanted to know more about Jesus. So here's Peter. Most of the time when the Romans come around, it's not been a good thing, but here come these soldiers dispatched from Cornelius to deliver Peter back to his residence. But what happens? Peter feels a peace within him that he is to go. He also has a vision from heaven before these men even come. He's kind of drifting off into an afternoon sleep before the barbecue comes, and he has this vision of animals being lowered in a sheet, and he's told to get up and kill, and some of the animals are unclean. He's like, I can't eat those unclean animals, right? Don't call unclean what God has called clean. Why am I having this dream? Next thing he knows, Roman men are coming and saying, hey, Peter, come with us to the home of a Gentile. I know you're a Jew, and Jews never go into the home of Gentiles because they're considered unclean. All of a sudden, all this is coming together. And he feels a peace in his heart to go. Later, when he would report back to the Jerusalem church, to his brothers, the apostles, he says in Acts 11, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Well, Peter, what did that sound like? When you say to me, the Holy Spirit told me, how did you know that? What did that feel like? Acts 13 Shares an, uh, an event where that happened actually in a church context. We have a church in Antioch, the city where the newly converted Paul and Barnabas had been ministering, and during one of their worship gatherings, they had been fasting and praying, and it says this, the Holy Spirit said, so in a church setting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So here's the question. How'd that happen in a worship context? You know, they're they're worshiping God. They're in a church setting like we are. It's probably a Sunday because they gather on the Lord's Day, which was the day Christ resurrected. And the Spirit spoke. What did that sound like? Was it audible to everybody? Did He speak through somebody when he spoke? How'd that happen, right? But we see the Holy Spirit working that goes on. It says that in in Acts chapter 15, as the church leaders, usually James and a few other followers of Christ, they, they now have to kind of deal with these new Gentile converts. And they have Jewish Christians going to these new believers saying, hey, you gotta get circumcised. If you wanna follow Jesus, you gotta get circumcised. That's not a very big welcome mat to Christianity, at least for the men who are trying to be saved. And so they're trying to load all these new Christ followers down with the Old Testament law. Christ isn't enough, so you kinda need to do these things too. And they're like, what do we do about that? Word gets back to the Jerusalem council, and this is what they say. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And they have a few commands they want to give these new Gentile believers. Well, how did they know that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit? And how did they know it seemed good to them and the Holy Spirit? What did that look like? What did that feel like inside? Paul made a similar statement in Romans chapter 9. He says, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Well, we know what a conscience is because we've all watched Pinocchio, and we know our conscience is a little grasshopper, crickety guy named Jiminy Cricket, right? Uh, We know about conscience, but he's saying that my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that feel like? How does that happen inside of us? 
All right, let's move on. Acts 16, the Spirit of God guides Paul through a dream in which a man Paul had never met invites him to a country he has never visited. And Paul concludes, this is the will of God. So he has a dream and believes the Holy Spirit is speaking to him. A few verses later, the Spirit of Jesus forbids Paul and Silas from preaching the gospel in a certain town that they weren't supposed to go yet. What did it feel like for the Holy Spirit to forbid them to do that? How did they know that? All right, Acts 16. Paul seems to assume that God's work now in a a woman named Lydia who came to faith in Christ in a city called Philippi. We know about the city because of the Philippian letter that we all have in our Bibles. He sees her openness to the gospel, and he decides they're going to stay here. And he stays there for quite a while to start a church because he sees God working in a circumstance, and he believes the Spirit is leading him to stay. What, What did that look like? Acts 20. Another story, Paul feels compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, but Paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him there. In the following verses, he says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me. Well, how does the Holy Spirit warn? How does the Holy Spirit compel? What does that sound like inside of them? What does that feel like? And then finally, Acts 21, there's a disciple named Agabus, and he warns Paul through the Spirit that the Jews would deliver him into the hands of the Roman rulers if he went to Jerusalem. Well, Paul believes he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, so he goes even though Agabus said what was going to happen to him. And he goes there, but Paul believes in his heart that he's going to go to Rome. He's not going to die in Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested, just like Agabus said, under the leading of the Holy Spirit. But then he appeals to Caesar, and because he's a Roman citizen, he gets shipped off to Rome to make his case before Caesar. So both things are accomplished. How did Agabus know what he knew? And how did Paul know what he knew? See, friends, here's what we see. In the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts, we see an utter dependence on the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. All they have are commands from Jesus. I want you to go and preach and make disciples. You've been with me long enough. You know what I'm about. Now go do that. There was no university for Bible students. They had the Holy Spirit. I'm not against higher education. Trust me. But there's a dependence we see on the Holy Spirit. So from those examples, as we close out today, I just want to give you these very quickly. How does the Holy Spirit guide us then? Well, we have a pattern we see in the Scripture. All right? Let's look at it very quickly. In those stories that I just shared in the book of Acts, and by the way, if you want to look at those deeper, if you have the notes, okay, they're available on our website. If you go to Messages Notes, you'll see our notes available to you on our website. Or you can also use the YouVersion Bible app that many of you have. And if you have that app, you know how to get to the notes. If not, ask me later and I'll show you how. Because it's all listed out in all those Acts stories that I shared. Because over 30 times, the Holy Spirit speaks, directs, guides the apostles to do certain things. So here's what it looks like. The Holy Spirit guides through discernment and insight. Discernment and insight. Discernment is that sense you have within you that something is not right. Okay? Now, sometimes we call that a mother's intuition, right? Because moms are like, oh, something's not right. Uh, well, yeah, there's a truth to mother's intuition, but this is not the same thing. This is a work of the Holy Spirit where we have this sense of discernment that something is just not quite right. So when Peter is there and Ananias and Sapphira are saying, yeah, this is all the offering we got from the cell of our land, he knows they're lying, feels it within their heart, and he's given an insight that they are lying. There have been times that I've been speaking with people hearing what's maybe going on, and the Holy Spirit gives me an insight into something that's not being said directly, but it's happening. And as I begin to address that, they're like, like you're reading my mail kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's not me. It's just what happens at times when the Holy Spirit will give you insight into something. But are you listening for that? The Holy Spirit also guides through giving wisdom and persuasive words. We saw that with Stephen He preaches very boldly. He's given wisdom that doesn't seem like it would come from him. We also see it in Peter. Remember, he was arrested once. He was brought before the Sanhedrin. He's testifying, and they're like, how does this ordinary unschooled man have such great wisdom? He's a fisherman. 
they took note that they had been with Jesus. And so there's this sense the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and persuasion. And that's why you need to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit when he prompts you to go speak to somebody, because here's the good news. He will also give you wisdom and persuasion in the moment to say what needs to be said, just like what happened with Philip. Let's move on to the next one. The Holy Spirit also guides us through an inward compelling voice to act. We might call it a prompting or a nudging of the Holy Spirit, where all of a sudden we feel like we should do something that maybe just came out of the blue. There are also times I've seen this happen where maybe I'm in a quiet time of prayer and the Lord just puts somebody on my heart to pray for, and I have this compelling need to pray for them. I've heard story after story of missionaries who faced something horrific, and God prompted somebody back in the States to pray for them and woke them up in the middle of the night that very night to have them pray for that missionary. Why? Because they were feeling that inner sense, that inner leading, compelling act to pray. So they did. That happens to us. Do you sense his compelling leadership to do something? Like go talk to somebody when he lays them on your heart, maybe share your testimony or speak for Christ. Also, he guides us through a courageous and bold witness for Christ. We obviously saw that in Stephen. We see it in Philip. We see it in Peter when he stands up on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem and preaches to the people that were gathered on the day of Pentecost. He has a boldness like he never had before. Where'd that come from? This was the same Peter, remember, that kind of denied knowing Jesus just like weeks ago. And all of a sudden now he's the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit preaching to people persuasively to the point where they are cut to the heart, it says. And they say, what do we have to do to be saved? How'd that happen? Did Peter grow up quick? No. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He began to sense and know what he was supposed to do. There were also times that the Holy Spirit guides through a spoken word in a worship gathering. This still happens today. Yes, we have God's word, but there are times when the church will gather together and the Holy Spirit wants to speak something to the church body and will often do that through a willing vessel who is willing to trust that. This is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit Paul talks about later in his letters, that when you're gathered, assume the Holy Spirit will work and move in your place. And sometimes it's going to happen through a word of knowledge or prophecy given within the church. And it was happening In the book of Acts, why would that cease now when we continue to need that prompting and leading and bringing alive God's word? It also can happen, uh, the Holy Spirit guides through this sense of an inner peace and assurance. For Peter, remember, he just, when the Roman soldiers came to take him to Cornelius, he was like, it's okay. He felt a peace, even though this was totally against his cultural upbringing. You don't go hang out with Gentiles. This was taboo, but he was like, okay, I'm going to trust you, Holy Spirit, with this. And he has a peace in his heart about it. It's the, the same thing that, that happened to the Jerusalem council when they were deciding how to lead these new Gentile Christians. They said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They had this assurance inside. They felt a peace. Holy Spirit also guides through dreams and visions. Peter had a dream. A sheet, Lord, with animals, some unclean, some clean. He had a vision. God used that to speak to him by the Spirit. We also saw that Paul had visions and dreams of a man calling for him from Macedonia to come and preach the gospel. He hasn't been to Macedonia. He doesn't know that guy, but he has a dream. Can I tell you, today I still hear stories from missionaries of people in their country who have a dream about Jesus, and they don't even know who he is. They wake up, and they go find the missionary and say, I had a dream about a a guy named Jesus, and I felt compelled to come and talk to you. How does that happen? That happens by the Holy Spirit, who also, by the way, can lead us through dreams and visions if we pay attention to it. Holy Spirit guides through open doors and circumstances. We see that with with Paul. He's seeing the work that God's doing in Lydia's heart in Philippi. He sees the circumstances and decides to stay, that the Spirit of God would have him to stay there. We also see it um, with, with Peter when he is given the opportunity, an open door to go preach to Cornelius. It's like, I've never had this chance before, but I guess I'll go. And he does. We also see the Holy Spirit guiding through closed doors. 
and prohibition. There was that time it says that the Holy Spirit forbid Paul to go into that country. Well, what did that look like? You know, was there a big gate that shut in his face? We don't know, but he sensed a prohibition in his heart. And so a door was closed, and he was like, okay, I'm not going that way. I don't know what that looked like, but he felt it and sensed it. It was a leading of the Holy Spirit. There will be times the Holy Spirit prohibits you, not because he controls you, but you'll feel a prohibition within you that not to do that. Pay attention to that. He also guides through spiritual leaders. That's why we're part of a community of faith. Agabus stood up in church setting and spoke to Paul. He guides through leaders, the Jerusalem council, the leaders of the church. The Holy Spirit spoke through them. It's good to us in the Holy Spirit. They made a decision. We submit to the spiritual leaders and mature believers God puts around us because the Holy Spirit can guide us through their wise counsel. And then finally, the Holy Spirit can guide us through spiritual disciplines. You'll notice in a lot of these occasions, there was prayer involved, there was fasting There was a sense of meditation, which was reflecting on the things of God. Don't think about meditation like sitting in, you know, the lotus position and, you know, we can meditate upon the things of God as believers of Christ. We can look at Scripture and think about what the Scripture is saying. That's called meditating on it. We can do that. God leads through those disciplines. He also can lead us through Bible reading, which I'm so glad we have today. But remember, Peter, James, John, they they didn't have the New Testament while it was all happening. Those were written... A couple of years, several years later for some of them. So they just had to trust and pray and seek. But we thankfully have the Bible now to also read. What's my point? The apostles saw their whole life and ministry as being led by the Spirit. And if they didn't allow that Spirit leading, they would fall flat on their face. This, this mission that Christ gave them would not be possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, let me tell you, a successful Christian life, you following Jesus is not possible without the guiding work of the Holy Spirit within us to know God's will and to know his purposes for our life. Now, here's my caution. I want you to notice that the apostles never created a formula. They didn't like say, okay, here's how the Holy Spirit specifically works. They didn't, they didn't create a formula. Now, I know you can buy books today on Amazon where people tell you, here's how to interpret your dreams so you know what the Holy Spirit is saying. Here's the formula. You know, here's the magic formula for a diet to help you dial into the work of the Holy Spirit within you. I mean, there are nut jobs out there writing books about creating a formula for you to know how the Holy Spirit is channeling you to do certain things, okay? Never, in my imagination, I'm not going to create a formula. The disciples didn't either. Okay? They had patterns that they saw. We have patterns in Scripture that we see of how the Holy Spirit works. And there were varied ways that we saw the Holy Spirit working. In the book of Acts alone, dreams, prohibitions, guiding, circumstances, leaders. I mean, there's all kinds of ways the Holy Spirit was working. Here's my point. If you have a formula that says, well, the Holy Spirit only speaks through God's Word, and that's it then what happens when the Holy Spirit prompts you outside of God's word? What do you do with that? What happens is we say, that does not compute. We just kind of go, I can't, I don't, I don't do that. I just do this. I just do Bible. But how many things might I have missed if I wasn't also aware that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would guide me into truth, that he would make things known to me if all I had was the Bible to focus on? I'm not against the Bible, trust me. Here's one thing I do know about the Holy Spirit. He will always guide you to do things that are God and Bible honoring. If, and the reason people create formulas is because it's safer, because what happens is there's certain people out there on the fringes of spirituality who want to say, well, the Holy Spirit told me to do something, and it's contrary to what the Bible says. Then I would say, no, he didn't. I'm just going to call you on that and just call you a liar because the Holy Spirit will not guide you to do something that is not biblical truth and not morally responsible as God has revealed to us the word. God is not going to conflict with himself, okay? So the Holy Spirit told me to kill this one guy. No, he didn't. The Holy Spirit's not going to tell you to kill some other guy, all right? Well, the Holy Spirit told me to have sex with her. Before marriage, we just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying it was good. No, he's not. He will never tell you that. Okay? But we're so committed. Doesn't matter. 
He will not lead you into activities that are contrary to the Word of God. So I want you to be open to the leading. If we create a formula, we're going to miss things God wants to do. But we have to be open to the fact that there are patterns we can see. But the overarching truth is He'll guide us and lead us in ways that honor Him. Let me just close. I'm already over time. Let me just close with a personal story. Some folks have asked me, well, Kelly, how did you know you're in God's will stepping down as the pastor of Neighborhood Church and entering into this next season of your How did you know that was the right thing to do? So let me just bring you into the inside of my life for a moment because this is how I saw the Holy Spirit at work in me. Because not one thing happened that was like, that's it. There was a working in varied ways the Holy Spirit was guiding and directing me. Let me give you the first one. The first one began with just a stirring in my heart that God was up to something different. I don't know what else to call it, but there was a sense within my heart that he was stirring me. So I paid attention to that, but I didn't just make a decision on that alone. I felt stirred, goodbye, I'm out of here. That's not what was going on. That happened a while back. I felt a stirring of the Holy Spirit that something, I'm preparing you for something different, be ready. So I felt that, but that wasn't the only one. So beyond that, as I began to pray about what that meant, okay, God, what are you up to? I was also at the same time trying to pray for what God has for Neighborhood Church in the next year, in the next five years, because I like, I like to always keep vision out in front of me. As a leader, I like to be driven into things I believe God is wanting us to do. And so as I was praying and asking God for direction as we move forward, we got some things to do, we got some people to hire, we have some things, some ministries to tackle, Lord, where are we going? And all I can tell you is that I felt an iron curtain drop in front of me. And I prayed, God, you know, is there something in me that needs to be dealt with? I mean, help me understand. Why can't I have a sense of what you're doing and want to do a neighborhood church a year, five years down from here? But I wasn't. And then I felt as though it were a, a burden lifting from me. Because with leadership comes burden. I don't know if you know that. But it come, there comes a burden. And I felt that lifting. The responsibility of, of pastoring this church lifting from me. And then I felt a peace in my heart that God was doing something good. So all these elements so far I had felt, but I needed a circumstance to step into because it's like, well, okay, God, if I walk away from pastoring, which I sense you're wanting me to do right now, how am I going to live? This is my career for almost 30 years. So what am I supposed to do? Can't go homeless. My kids wouldn't like that very much. So what do we do? Well, in the middle of all this, God opens up a door of circumstance, of employment here locally. Um, and it was just like, okay, thank you, Lord, for your leading in very practical ways. All of, my, my whole point is to understand all of these things came together to create for me a sense of his leading. And the reason I wanted to share that with you is not to defend what I'm doing, but to help bring you into how the Spirit was working within my life. Because I believe he'll work the very much the same way with you. Not leaving your job, okay, but in however you're facing circumstances. I believe you're going to have some of those same things we talked about that were on the screen. You're going to sense a compelling work of the Spirit within you. But here's the thing. I chose to be obedient. Are you willing to be obedient to what the Spirit of God is saying to you? He will lead you. He will guide you. In fact, that's, that's kind of our big idea, right? Basically, the Holy Spirit is our guide who will lead us into God's will and his purposes for us. Because the Spirit of God knows the mind of God. That's what Corinthians says. I'll put it on the screen for you very briefly, but here's the deal. The Spirit of God knows what God wants, and he makes it known to us. Look at the very last line. Next screen for me, Terry. The very last line says, The Spirit is who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given. God wants you to understand. He's calling you into relationship. He will make things known to you, but how? By the Spirit. What does that feel like? You're going to have to begin to open up that. Here's how it happens. God, give me an open heart and a willing mind. Give me a listening ear because I know you want to guide me. And he will. Start with the Bible. you got to start there. If you don't know God's word, start with the Bible. 
But I believe you'll begin to open up other ways he's communicating to you about your marriage, about your role as a husband or a wife or a single person. I, begin, I believe he'll begin to guide you if you're in a place of seeking him for your future. I believe he'll guide you in that. People that don't know Christ, I believe he's going to be nudging you to share Christ with them. If we pay attention, too many times we don't listen. The guide who's trying to guide us. And it's like going through the most awesome monument in the world and ignoring the guide. You're missing out on so much. Knowledge, direction, experience. So let's listen for our guide. He'll be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit that you gave your disciples. Because they had to be totally freaking out about the idea of being in this world, leading a church, without you being by them. But you gave us the Holy Spirit. And you said he will be our guide. And he is. And not just in a church context, but in our individual lives. We can submit ourselves to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray for an awakening to that in our own hearts, that we would pay attention to that. Maybe for some, they're not even sure where to start. But I pray they begin by reading your word, because even in reading your word, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you begin to bring things to my heart and my mind that I know I need to correct in my own life. And you prompt me with those things as I'm reading the Bible, and you, you speak within my heart. And I pray that same awareness for all of us, to listen to your leading, because there will be times that we'll have a dream, or you'll give us a vision, or we'll feel a compelling nudge in our heart, or we'll feel a boldness come on us like never before. Help us to lean into that, because that's where you work. A lot of us are bored in our Christian life because we're not joining you in the adventure of what your Holy Spirit wants to do through us. So be our guide, we pray, because you'll always guide us into the Father's will and his purpose for us. As we go from this place today, I pray you'd lead people this week. They have decisions to make. They have people around them that you know the hope of Christ. And I pray they'd be obedient to the prompting of your spirit. So thank you, guide. Help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen.